Good morning. How is everyone? Awesome. Good. Get all this situated here. Ah, uh, hi. It's good to be here with you. Hi. Son of Tom. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you were here yesterday morning? So good. We got a good crowd that wasn't. That's awesome. Um, I'm actually excited this morning to speak to you. I feel like I got something burning. It's always good, right? Amen. Burning is good. Uh, isn't it funny? We're the weirdest group of people on the planet. Just the language we use, the things we do. It's awesome. I just somebody came over and sprinkled confetti hearts in Leif's hand, and then like someone else put a shawl over him, and I was just thinking, this is not okay in any other place in the world except church. <laughs> <laughs> we are so weird, but it's awesome. <laughs> Could you imagine walking into someone's workplace and doing that? People would be like, what is, what's, what exactly is happening here? Here we're just like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Upgrade, upgrade more. <laughs> so funny. Uh, my first time I went to church, uh, I told a little bit of my testimony yesterday, but uh, I was the drug dealer, punk kid of the neighborhood, you know, um, suicidal and out of control. And uh, I, I had this radical encounter with God, six-hour open uh, vision, open visitation, where he took me into my past, and I physically experienced a bunch of stuff again. And sh he showed me where he was at in all these different areas of my life that I felt very alone. I thought that was normal Christianity. I thought that's what it looks like when you finally meet God, you know. And I went to church, and um, I remember the first time walking into Bethel Church in Reading, they all started singing, and I'm like, okay, this isn't too weird. And then all of a sudden, these crazy flag people popped up out of nowhere. <laughs> and I watched the church. Well, this, this was me walking in the church for the first time. So to me, it felt like all of a sudden, church turned into a circus. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm at the circus. And these people were running around, and people were laughing and putting hands on each other and laughing. And, ah, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not the one with the problem. <laughs> They're all drunk. <laughs> It was so funny, and now I'm one of them. I'm one of you, whatever, however you want to say it. We're weird. It's awesome. It's fun. Um, mm -hmm. Good. I want to touch on family today. I want to talk about family today. Is that all right? I love, love, love my family. I have my wife and three kids at home, uh, and then our extended family, all of our spiritual sons and daughters, and uh, but my wife and three kids are at home, and they, they let me travel uh, knowing the impact that it's making, knowing what we're doing. We're, we're a family on mission, uh, but I can't stand being away from my family. I love doing what, this part of what I do, but I can't stand being away from my family because my family is my place. My family is, I mean, my wife is the, this wonderful, beautiful, amazing woman who, uh, she was the one that, I was the drug dealer, punk kid, had a an encounter with God, and she was the hot Christian girl that lived across the street that was kind of like off limits, you know? She was out of bounds. Like, I was not allowed to. That was like holy ground over there, you know? And she walked across the street right after I had this encounter. I was a firefighter drug dealer, so I figured that one out. Wildland firefighter slash drug dealer. Um, and I had this encounter with God on a fire bus, came home, and she was the hot Christian girl that came across the street right after I had this encounter with God, and I told him, 
God, you got to send someone to help me. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, you know, there's always that hot Christian girl across the street. <laughs> she probably knows how to get to you. And, uh, and I get home. I would never say that to God. I just thought it, right? Because there's a, there's a difference in your thoughts and what he hears and what you actually think, right? And um, I didn't realize there was no privacy with God at the time. So I thought this. And uh, <laughs> she comes walking across the street right as I got home. And she invited me to church, which no one had ever done before. And it was the weirdest thing. And I don't think I answered her. I think my jaw just dropped to the ground. And I looked at her, and I think I, think I kind of shook my head yes and then turned around and walked in the house. I was scared to death. I thought, oh, my gosh. And then since then, we've gotten married, and it was just this amazing story, and now we have three kids. And I have my son, Oren, who's 20 years old. Uh, my wife actually had him before I met her. He was four years old when we got married, and I got to go through the adoption process. Two years it took uh, to adopt him, uh, you know, his uh, biological, whatever you want to call him, uh, didn't exist, was never in the picture, um, ran off, did not want the responsibility. And I saw this kid and I thought, oh my gosh, who would run from this? This guy is amazing. Actually, he, he still to this day thinks that uh, Lacey and I, my wife, did not choose each other, that he chose me and said, okay, you can marry my mom. <laughs> He's 20 and he still thinks this. I'm like... <laughs> But two years of the adoption process, and then we finally got to go to court. You know, we had to put it in the paper. We were looking for this guy so he could sign off on it. He thought we wanted money, so he was running. I'm like, I don't want your money. I just want you to sign this paper so I can be his dad. I was already his dad, but I wanted it to be legal. And so uh, finally two years goes by. We had put it in the paper. We circulated it everywhere because you have to go through all the steps to make it legal, to make sure that you did your due diligence. And then we got to the court date. And in the court date... Um, we get out of the car, and it was such a big deal. We're all getting dressed up. You know, it's like this huge thing. The whole family on both sides, everybody that can come, shows up at the court. It's going to be a party. It, it's, it's a big deal. The courthouse is set, and they're ready for a party, too. So you have your court date, and then they give you, like, 45 minutes after uh, the finishing of the procedures so you can party in the courtroom. Like, it's, it's a big deal. It's a celebration. And so Oren, my son... He's so excited about this, and he thinks it's such a big deal. We get out of the car, and he says, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, what is it, buddy? And he goes, is the news going to be here? <laughs> he thought he was getting on TV for sure, which is what he always wanted. And I said, I don't know about that, but everybody else will be here. So we go to the court, and we go through the procedure, and they do the legal stuff first, making sure that everything's been done. You know, We've done all of our due diligence, and everybody's on the same page. And then it gets to the actual, like, the big event. And the judge looks down, and the judge never talked to me. He barely even looked at me. Barely even looked at my wife. He looks down at a, this four-year-old boy, and he says, Oren? He says, yeah. He's looking up, like, this is a big deal. Big, you know, he's up on this high seat, and he's got this big wood in front of him, and he's wearing his robe, and he looks so serious, and he's got this gaffle in his hand. He says, Oren? He's like, Yeah. He said, what do you want your name to be after this? And he said, he looked around. My name's Scott Thompson. So he says, Oren's name was Oren Jesse Tamani, which is my wife's maiden name. He says, I'm, I want my name to be Oren Jesse Scott Thompson. And he said, okay, your new name's going to be Oren Jesse Scott Thompson. So I need to know this, yes or no, do you want him Mr. Scott Thompson, to be your father from this day on. He said, 
yeah, I do. He said, okay, so from this day on, your dad, your father is that man right there, Scott Thompson, and your new name is going to be Oren Jesse Scott Thompson. And he said, yep. And he said, okay, I want you to come up here. Come around the side, walk up these steps. And he comes around the side, four-year-old kid, you know, walks up. Actually, he's six. I'm sorry, I keep saying four. When, he, when we were married, he was four. He's six now, six-year-old kid. Walks up these steps, and the judge hands him the gaffel. He said, if you want this to be finished and done, you want this to be this way the rest of your life, then take this right here and hit it right there on that, you know, the little wood place you hit the gaffle. He said, you want to hit it right there. Now, you don't hand a six-year-old a hammer unless you really want him to hit something, <laughs> especially a six-year-old boy. You know, he wasn't going to be like, dink. He grabs that thing, and he had a drum set at home. We got him earmuffs, you know, because he would play that drum set, and he's just... I mean, he just go on that drum set. So he got this gaffle, and he looked at that thing, and I was down there going, you don't know what you just did, man. <laughs> no clue, Judge, have you not done this before? And so he looks at that thing, and he just goes off on that thing. Ah, bam, bam, bam. The judge's like, okay, okay, okay. It, it's finished. It's done. And so he says, it's finished. It's done. And all of a sudden, the whole courtroom erupts, and everybody's excited, and everybody's celebrating, and it's this massive event. And we have a party, and we have the whole thing. And this is what happened on that date. I didn't just sign a piece of paper saying, you can call me dad now, and it's official. This is what happened. I became legally bound to my son. I was legally bound to him. I have two other kids, Judah and Ava. Judah's 13. He's all in basketball right now, so he's calling me every day. I, I missed one of his games, first game I've ever missed. Missed one of his games, but it was okay. It was, it was, it was against the team they knew they were going to just clobber him. And so he was fine with it. He's like, I know, we're going to clobber him. He started as point guard. He scored six points in the first, like, first half of the first quarter as point guard. He was so proud, but he's telling me all about it. So Judah is my son. He looks just like me, acts like me. He gets up and preaches. His first message he ever spoke, I think he was eight or nine years old, and he got up and spoke. He said, God, I want to speak on Sunday. Or God, Scott, Mom, Dad, me, not God. You're you, I'm me. It's always good to remind yourself. He said, Dad, I want to speak on Sunday. I said, what do you want to speak about? Because this is awesome. Cool. You want to do this? And he said, yeah, I want to speak about the fear of the Lord. I want everybody to know what the fear of the Lord is. I'm like, what? You want to speak about what? He told me the message, and I'm like, you're speaking on Sunday, man. That is so good. Eight-year-old kid, you know? So that's Judah, and he, he looks like me. He, we, we're wired so much the same. We're both touch people, so, you know, I touch him. He touches me. We both touch each other, and we're like dogs. We're like, you know, like the leg starts twitching a little. We just, our touch tanks are full. We're just like, hey, buddy, hey. You know, we're both just like... We think a lot the same. And then my youngest is Ava, and she's just, she's just the little princess of the family. She's sweet as can be. Uh, she is spoiled rotten, but she, doesn't, she just doesn't act that way, and she doesn't you know, carry herself that way. She's just so sweet, so it's hard for me and her brothers not to spoil her because it's just like, oh, my goodness, she's just Ava. And she's our creative one. She's always making gifts for people and all this stuff. And so this is my family. And... My two kids, my two younger kids that my wife and I had together, I could legally, right now, I could legally just walk away from them, and my wife would have to take me to court to make me legally have to do anything from this point on. I could say, all right, sorry, I'm gone, kind of like my dad did. 
I could walk out and my wife would have to take me to court to make me do anything, to make me be responsible for the kids that I had with her. I would have to go to court and I'd have to go through the whole proceeding just to make me responsible for the children that I had. But with Oren, with adoption, adoption is so final that I'm legally bound to him more than I was legally bound to the kids that I had with my wife. When I signed the paper, it was finished. It was done. There's no backing out on my end. He is part of me. I am part of him. We are legally bound together. He is fully in with me. He has all the rights and benefits of being my son automatically, immediately. His name has changed. He is no longer recognized as the old son. He is now recognized as my son only. That's it. All of the old is completely erased. And from that day on, it's like a new identity started in the system. It's like a new birth certificate. It's like a new social security number almost is started in the system. He is a new person to be recognized as a new person from that day on, and I'm legally bound to him. How many of you know that from perspective, power flows? Right? Having the right perspective, power flows. We're not being transformed by the renewing of our identity right? You don't need a new identity. We're being daily transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, so through new perspective, power flows. When I start to get my perspective right, the power that was always there and always available starts to flow through this new perspective, right? I want to talk to you about perspective, and it's my heart today that out of this perspective that we would begin to get an upgrade and power would begin to flow in areas of our life that we haven't yet experienced the power of God and the reign of the king in our lives because perspective was a little off. But I'd like to talk about perspective today and I'd like to correct our perspective. Is that all right with you? Okay, so we're going to take a trip all the way back to the beginning. So the creation story, in the creation story, God created everything, right? So you go through the creation story and you see that God created uh, the fish, and he put them in water. He put them in their natural habitat. Some of you were here yesterday, and you heard this part, but we're going to go deep into this. So he created fish, and he put them in their natural habitat. He put them in the water. He created birds. He put them in their natural habitat. He sent them to flight. He created the beasts of the field and the beasts of the hills and the creatures that crawled on the ground, and he put them in their natural habitat. He put them in the fields and in the hills and on the ground, right? And then when God created man, it says that he stopped and he says, let us create man in our own image. So now no longer does the language in the creation story sound singular, like God is creating. But now all of a sudden, it's a group effort. It's family creating man, right? You with me? Okay, you got to help me here. I said it yesterday. If the, if the guy speaking falls asleep, you're all boring. Now, if you, if few of you fall asleep, then I was partly boring, so it's my fault. But if I fall asleep, you're all boring, so... I don't think you're boring people. Let's not let me fall asleep on you. So he creates man, and he puts man in his natural habitat. He put the fish in the water. He put the birds in the air. He put the creatures on the ground. And then this is what he did with man. He created man, his own image, and he put him in his natural habitat. It says God breathed breath into man. God breathed life into man. Our natural habitat is to be in the breath of God, to be God-breathed, God in us, us in him, natural habitat of man. Fish in the water, birds in the air, beasts of the field, and man in God, God in man. Does it make sense? Have you ever seen a fish out of water? It's ridiculous, right? Like, have you, ever, you know those Chinese, or, are they Chinese or Japanese fighting fish? You know the betas? 
that you went, you know, you get them in the little, they're in that little jar and they've got this flowing, like they're just like this. They're just like, oh, so beautiful and amazing. All these bright colors and, you know, they do this and if you tap on the side, they like flare out and they're like, you know, these amazing little fish and you're like, oh, it's so awesome. And it looks so great in the water. It's this amazing fish and it's flowing and it's beautiful and it's got all these, I don't even know what it's supposed to do with all that, but it just does it and just floats. And it's like this amazing thing, right? If you take one of those and you took it out of the water and just put it on the ground, this is what it looks like. It doesn't work. Its fins are slapped around itself. It's plastered to the ground. It can't move. It's trying to breathe. It's like... That thing that was so beautiful in water is now pathetic on the ground. You know, it's got like a, a hair stuck across its face and a little dirt on the side of it and its fins slammed across its face right here and it can't move. It's stuck to the ground. It's not right and it's oh, oh, just trying to get some breath in it. Why? Because that's not its natural habitat. It's outside of what's natural to it. It doesn't look right. It looks pathetic because it's not where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be in the water where it flows. I went to San Francisco once. I went to San Francisco a lot. But I remember this time in San Francisco, and there was this bird. You know, San Francisco's got all these birds that are constantly stealing your food from you. So if you eat on the streets of San Francisco, the birds are, are like, they're little thieves out there. Like, they'll come at you, and they'll steal, they'll steal your food. They won't just take a French fry. They'll take the whole thing of French fries and fly off with it. You know, they're like, just fly away. And <laughs> these pigeons are everywhere. And I remember seeing this pigeon, and this pigeon only had one wing. It, I don't know what happened to this other wing. It just had a stub on the other side. It only had one wing. And this pigeon, all the rest of the birds were flying from French fry to French fry tray, right? Trying to steal people. And then there was this one pigeon, and it was running around. And it looked like it was on crack. Like, it was, like, fully, like, <laughs> it was constantly checking its back. Because why? Because there was no escape for this thing. It was just trying to survive. The other pigeons would fly, and they'd steal a French fry and go up on a roof and eat it so you could never get it back. This little guy was in survival, and so he's running around. He's looking for scraps off the table, and I just remember thinking, like, bro, your days are numbered. <laughs> You're not going to last out here. This is San Francisco. You know, they're like alley cats. There's everything else, and then there's people. And so he's running around trying to steal French fries, and it was just so wrong to see this. I almost wanted to put him out of his misery. I know some of you probably would have prayed for him, I thought. I could just, like, <laughs> is that bad? Oh, uh, I know, I know. It's really sad. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> but I honestly thought that, like, I wonder if somebody should just, like, you know, just put him out of his misery. Because just like that fish on the ground, it wasn't natural. He's totally out of his natural habitat. He wasn't flying. He was running on these two legs that were not meant to do a lot of work. Like, they were only supposed to do work while he's on the ground, and then he flies the rest of the time. But these little legs were his only like mobility, this is his only transportation, you know? Like he's supposed to fly, but he's running like a crazy person. I just thought, oh man, bummer for you. Just as pathetic as a bird without wings, just as pathetic as a fish without water, is man outside of their natural habitat, which is in him. We were created from the beginning to be in relationship with him, to be in him, to be God-breathed in our natural habitat. Our natural habitat is in the breath of God. 
Same as birds fly and fish swim. Man is to be in him. Fully in him. Does it make sense? I read this, uh, so I read this scientific study a while back. And how many of you are into science? Great. Awesome. I, I, I've never really been into science, but this one caught me. I mean, it fully grabbed me. I, I read it for like three hours. I was sitting reading this thing. on. I think it was like Yahoo News started it, and then I went down the rabbit hole, and all of a sudden I was deep in the underworld of scientific studies, and I was reading all these things on DNA and the study of DNA and light and the effect of DNA on light or light on DNA, and I was just like stuck in this study, and it was absolutely phenomenal. So in this study, uh, scientists wanted to see, they had these like really powerful lights that they were using, these scientific lights, and they had test tubes, and they had all this stuff, and scientists wanted to see what the effect of light was on DNA. So high-powered light shining it through certain DNA, they wanted to see what the effect it would have on it. So they got these test tubes, and they heated them up to white-hot to kill any organic matter in the test tube, anything that could be living in them to just completely destroy it so it was a completely clean test. So they heated up the white hot, they sucked all the oxygen out of it so there was no air left in it, so it was complete empty space, which first of all, I didn't know you could have a place that was completely empty. I guess it just didn't ever, I never thought that way, but it was completely empty. There was nothing in there. Like what is nothing? Nothing's gotta be something, right? Because what is that space? It was empty. I was like, totally. I know, I'm easily entertained. So I'm sitting there going, wow, I could have been done with the study. Like, that's cool. And so they take this heated up white hot tube, they let it cool down, and then they take this light and they shine this light through the tube. And as they shine this light through the tube, they're taking this microscope and they're watching the reaction of light. So light shines through the tube. And everything has a frequency in it, every single thing. We have a frequency in us. Light has a frequency in it. Everything has a frequency in it. And so they're looking at light with this microscope. And as they look at it, they can see the light coming through the tube bending at the frequency of light. So how many of you know like your DNA is a double helix that does this, right? Well, light is a single helix that does this. It's frequency bends at the frequency of light, and it does this. So light is not a steady beam. It is a bending frequency that then manifests itself as light. So they look through the tube. They see light doing what light does, bending at the frequency of light. Then they did something interesting. They took a salamander embryo. Everybody know what a salamander is? Anybody not know what a salamander is? Nobody ever raised their hand to that. I know there's some of you out there. Salamander, you know those little lazy lizards that like, they're like water, they live in wet, moist places. So salamander, they don't do much. They just rest. So they take a salamander embryo and they put it in this test tube and they shine this high-powered light through the test tube and the light comes in the test tube, bending at the frequency of light, hits the salamander embryo, comes out the other side, bending at the frequency of the DNA of a salamander. So the, the frequency of the light changed in response to the frequency of the DNA of the salamander. So now they've had this scientific breakthrough that light actually responds to DNA. So it comes out the other side. And in understanding this, they then saw that they, this was awesome because it wasn't a Christian study. But they then saw that not only does light bend in a single helix, 
Human DNA is a double helix, and light, the frequency of light, is the same frequency as human DNA. The difference is human DNA is a double helix, and light is a single helix. So they're saying that they believe that human DNA is actually the physical manifestation of light. That's rad. We're not done. This is, it's just getting started. There's a part in this scientific study that's going to make you go, what? So this is what they do. They're watching this light bend at the frequency of a salamander DNA. And then they take a totally different test tube. They heat it up to white hot. They do the same thing. And they put a frog embryo in it. So they, they're wanting to see, is this just a freak thing? Or, so they shine it through, comes in, bending at the frequency of light, goes out the other end, bending at the frequency of a frog's DNA. So they're saying, okay, now we see that light actually responds to all different types of DNA at the frequency of those DNAs. Isn't that cool? Awesome, right? Okay. This is where it gets really weird. They took the salamander embryo out of the test tube. They cleaned it out. They heated it up, killed all organic matter, and it did all the same thing. They're starting the study over. They shine the light through to make sure it's a clean test. And when they shine the light through, the light comes in the tube, bending at the frequency of light, hits the spot where the embryo was, but there's no scientific trace of it left in the tube. And when it hit that spot, it started to bend at the frequency of the DNA of a salamander once again. And science started to freak out because they said that actually in DNA itself, in creation, even when creation is removed from its place, there is a supernatural memory or a supernatural remnant of creation still in that spot. So the DNA, the light still responded to a DNA on a spiritual level that was not there on a physical level. They started to realize that there's different realms of reality and the reality of a realm that's unseen by science or humans still existed because light responded to something that was totally gone. Freaked them out. Then they did something real crazy. They took this light that was bending at the frequency of a salamander and they took the test tube with the frog embryo in it and they put it under the light that was bending at the frequency of the DNA of a salamander, wanting to see what the light would do when it came in contact with a second DNA, a totally different creation, right? So they put this frog embryo under the light. That's are you with me? Is this making sense? Okay, good. So they put this frog embryo under the light that's bending at the frequency of a salamander, and right before their very eyes, the embryo was transformed to its down to its very DNA, the frog embryo was transformed into a salamander embryo. The DNA strand of the frog changed to DNA of salamander. That's what I said. Whoa. I like you. You're the same person I said, how you doing? And everybody else is like, eh. And you were like, awesome. I like you. You got to have people like that in your life. I think the, the cure to any pessimist is 10 optimists surrounding them. <laughs> like three days of that, uh, you know, first day will be like detox, second day will be like a, a manifestation of pessimism coming out like, Rah! and then third day, they're just going to get right with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. Anyway, so now this frog embryo is a salamander embryo. 
They cannot find any trace of frog left in it. They're studying it. There's no, there's no evidence at all that it ever was what they knew it was. It was a frog embryo. Plain and clear as day, a frog embryo. They ran the test over and over and over and over and over again, got the same results every single time. Now, the difference between this and cloning is cloning would take something that has its own signature, its own mark, and they go clonk, clonk, and make two of the one, and the second one would always be like, you know, it's like the Crypt Keeper, you know, and they're like, oh, put it in its cage. You know, it's got like a third eye over here. It's like, rah, and it eventually dies. The difference is this transforming one to another, this thing lived its entire life completely salamander. Given the choice, it chose the habitat of a salamander over that of a frog. Given the choice, then they didn't just give it one thing to eat. Given the choice, they gave it a selection of its diet. It selected on its own the diet of a salamander over the diet of a frog. It lived its entire life as a salamander and reproduced salamander babies. <laughs> so down to the very reproduction of what it was, this thing never had a trace of frog its entire life. It was completely salamander. You know where I'm going. There was this test tube called the cross. And there was a light that was blasted through it bending at the frequency of heaven with the DNA of the sun. When that light hit the DNA of the sun, the light started to respond to the frequency of the bending of the DNA of sonship. And you came in over on this side, a frog, meant to live and eat and sleep and breathe and reproduce frog, and the wages of frog was death. <laughs> right? And this was you, and this was your destiny, and this was your future, and this was your only hope. And maybe if you were to, you know, kill other animals and burn them on an altar, you could live another day, hopefully guilt-free and shame-free. But this was who you were. And now all of a sudden, this test tube is introduced. And when you walked over here and said yes to this experiment called the cross, there was so much more than an experiment. I'm just using that wording because this is where we're at. You stepped into a light that was burning and bending at the frequency of sonship. And when you stepped into that light, you were transformed. <coughs> transformed into a new creation to step out the other side. No longer frog, but salamander. No longer sinner, but son. See, the cross was not an invitation to process where you all of a sudden got a salamander tail, but the rest of you is fully frog. And you're supposed to show us, the church, if you can be salamander, even though you got your frog parts still. And through time, if you're good enough, you know, you'll get another salamander leg and maybe another. But right now you got these crazy frog legs, you know? And you're just doing your best because you have a frog nature. Right? You were born with a frog nature. It's just who you are, and it's kind of out of your control. You're just an, you're the product of your environment. Because this is just an experiment. It's not perfect. So I walk out the other side, and I got this salamander tail. 
One of the identifying things of a salamander. So people see me and they go, oh, you might be a salamander. I don't know. Let's see. So I come to church and I'm like trying to keep it all together. You know? I'm like, if I just sneak, if I keep my head down, they won't see my frog face. And I'll just, I'll try to sit somewhere in the back, but not all the way in the back because that just gives it away, right? Hey, back row people. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, dang. So I'll find somewhere close to the back, not all the way to the back, maybe in the middle-ish back, some middle back people. And I'll just try to blend in. And I'll blend in and, oh, dang it, you know, I got this leg. <laughs> what the heck, man? This thing's got a mind of its own. So I keep it together and I come into worship and I don't fully feel like a salamander, though I'm surrounded by salamanders, so I'm trying to act like a salamander. And I come into worship and first song, I'm trying to prove to God that I can be a good salamander. So I come in and I'm just proving myself. I can do, I can be, I'll be the best salamander. I'm going to, I'll keep, I'm going to do it all. And, I'm, and by the second song, I've, I've gotten through the proving process and now I'm just telling him like, I, I do love you. I, I, love, I do love you, God. You're amazing. And by the third song, I feel like I'm accepted into his presence. And now all of a sudden I start to raise one hand or both hands. And now I look like a salamander. I'm with the other salamanders. And I've made it into the club, right? Everybody, I, I fooled them all. I'm a salamander. And I maybe even fooled myself. I'm a salamander. And then I get outside after church and I'm walking to my car and I get in my car. And as I start to get in my car, there's a fly. And like, And I look around to see, did anybody just see that? Because I still have the appetite of a frog. And I got this tongue. It's got a mind of its own. You know, like, oh, man, that, that fly didn't stand a chance. Like, it was there, and I just, whoop, gone. Because I'm still part frog. Because I'm in process, right? When I said yes to Jesus, I started a process of becoming a son, but I got so much orphan in me. It took the children of Israel 40 years to walk around the desert to try to smack the slave out of them. God providing for them. God the pillar. God the fire. God the cloud. God manna raining from the sky. Don't eat it tomorrow. It'll turn to worms. Why? Because I want you to see that I'm going to supply your every need every day. It'll be fresh. You don't have to hoard it up. You don't have to stock it up. And for 40 years, he tried to smack the slave off of his kids so that they could walk into the promised land. And it took 40 years. So I'm part of a 40-year process here. And it's tiring. And I do church, and then I get out the other side, and I'm, I'm feeling victorious. And then all of a sudden, the frog comes out a little. I get cut off on the freeway, and I'm like, beep, 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 beep. And that's the frog just came right out of my mouth. And now I start back over here on this side again. Because I'm fully frog, and I'm like, dang it, it almost worked that time. <laughs> and then I step back into this test tube, and I get shown with the light, and, I'm, and, and I get, and I'm, I got everything I ever did in life, I'm so sorry for it, and I, I will never do it again. And I step out this side, and I got a new start again. I'm like, okay, this time it's going to work, and I work my hardest, but I, I get so far down the road, and bam, there's the frog again. Because I just have a frog nature. Right? I just have a frog nature. I just have a sinful nature. I'm just fallen creation. It's the lie that's been preached, and we sit here and we listen to it, 
and we listen to it, and we listen to it, and it's the lie that's been preached through pulpits all around the world, that you are a sinner, saved by grace, but grace wasn't enough to knock the sin off you because you have a sin nature, and you're a fallen creation. I would like to maybe highlight a different perspective here this morning. I would like to highlight a perspective that maybe you stepped in this side of frog, but maybe this is a perfect experiment with perfect DNA, with spotless, blameless, perfect DNA, and maybe the light that's shining through it is powerful enough that you were actually transformed, like the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, you were actually transformed into a new creation, and the definition of new creation is a creation that the world has never seen before. That maybe you're not a frog in process, but maybe you were a frog. You were a sinner, but you were saved by grace. Grace is the operational power of heaven. Maybe Jesus was enough. That you stepped out the other side and you are no longer frog. There is not a trace of frog left. They can't find frog in you because you're a new creation. We got to kill this process. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. I step out the other side, a sinner with some grace smudged on me. But I still got a sin nature. But guess what? Faith will manifest itself in fruit. Whatever I believe, I will see. And so I step out this other side and I sin by faith because I have a, fa a sin nature. So I sin by faith. Because I believe that's what's inside of me. How many of you know that perspective from perspective flows power? The perspective I have is I'm half frog and half salamander, and it's weird. I understand it's weird. It's weird. And so since I have some frog nature in me by faith, I'm going to act like a frog sometimes. You just got to forgive me. This is just who I am. I have a sin nature. But the Bible that I read says that you are a sinner. You are saved by grace. You walk out the other side, First Peter. You are righteous because he is righteous. Not because of your own works that you would boast, Paul says, but you are righteous because he is righteous. You are the holiness of God because you are holy in Christ. You are his holiness. He said, I'm holy, therefore you're holy. This is my DNA. You stepped in with old DNA. You get my new DNA. You walk out the other side, and you are a Christian, a little Christ. You are me on the earth. You are now holy because I'm holy. You're righteous because I'm righteous. And not only that, you're no longer seen as a sinner, but you're seen as a saint. We gotta kill the lie that's actually blasphemy. It stands in the face of the cross and says, Jesus, you didn't do a good enough job. Were you the full sacrifice or did you just start the process? It's antichrist in nature. I told you a little bit of lion, a little bit of lamb today. We'll see the lamb in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's antichrist in nature it's the lie from the beginning and Leif brought it up it's the serpent in the garden oh man he didn't tell you he left some of the ingredients out when he made you he's got the ingredients he's just not giving them to you you know what you need since you're lacking since you're not fully a new creation since you're in process 
you're lacking. And so I can show you where those ingredients are. If you work hard enough, if you work hard enough and you do all the right things and you keep yourself like this and you show up to every church meeting you could ever show up to and if I wear you out with this lie that somehow in your work you're going to get what you already got for free. I mean, that's like me walking up to you and saying, hey, that's a nice shirt you're wearing. It's yours for 50 bucks. Just pay me right now. <laughs> you would go, uh, <laughs> have we met? Are you crazy? What's going on here? But somehow in Christianity, the lie's been fed to us that we need to pay for what we've already been given for free. And we spend our entire Christian life in process trying to look good enough to be a son, to be a daughter. And we run this track and we're on this race because the Bible says run the race. And we're like, I'm running it. I'm running it. You know, and we're like, dear God. And we got these crazy legs that start to, you know, like, ah! so we tie them up. Maybe no one will notice, you know. I just try to. And we come sneaking into church. And we're just trying to knock the frog off of ourselves for the first few songs. Because God wants me to prove that I'm worth it. Leif said it yesterday, and I think Chris Valentin says it, or somebody says it. I don't know, somebody somewhere said something. Jesus did not die to give you value. Jesus died to reveal your value. You were already valuable. God saw value in you, and so he sent his son to die for you to become a new creation. This is, this is the beauty of the cross. <clears throat> adoption. So I talked about adoption in the beginning, right? I adopted my son. Well, Western culture adoption is different than when Jesus and Paul talked about there's an adoption and you're all going to be sons and daughters. The idea of adoption is totally different than what we know and understand in Western culture as adoption. This is crazy. I live at 13 feet sea level. Just a side note. <laughs> My house, literally, I look out, there's the bay. That's ocean right there. And, uh, I just now coming here was getting over a cold, and I just, I ran one lap. <laughs> and I'm like, dear Lord, is anybody else tired? Is it hot in here? I don't think you guys have any air here. Like oxygen part of the air, you know? <laughs> that was rad. I was sitting here thinking, what have I been doing? Why am I getting tired? Oh, because there's no oxygen in Colorado. <laughs> Thanks for that. <clears throat> okay. When Paul speaks of adoption in Romans 8, they understood what he was talking about because culturally it made sense to them. So when we think adoption, we think orphans who someone felt sorry for and they found them a home to live in, or at least a house to live in. The difference is, adoption then, there was no Jewish law for adoption because when a father would die, if he didn't have any sons, then the closest relative would come in and carry on the bloodline. He'd take his name and everything. But in Roman law, there was the idea of adoption. And in Roman law, adoption meant this. If you were adopted, 
you lost all rights and privileges of the old family right away, right off the bat. Not much different than Western law. You lost all rights and privileges. On the spot, you were forgiven any debts or obligations you had as the old person. Sounds like the cross. You were forgiven any debts and obligations you had. The wages of your old life were this. Well, you didn't have to pay them. They were completely forgiven, right? Done, wiped off, blotted out. Not only that, but in losing your old privileges of your old family, you stepped into a new family and you got immediately the new privileges and the new rights and the new social status of your new family. Not only that, but you were no longer allowed to be seen as the old person. People were no longer allowed to talk to you and relate with you as the old person. You were a new person and actually adoption meant to be reborn or to be born again. Is this starting to make sense? You were born again. You were a new person. You started over. You were to be spoken to as the new person, not the old. You had all the benefits of the new family. You represented the father or the oldest living male in that family automatically. And inheritance was not something that was stored up when death happened in the family and then it was passed down to you. But inheritance was something that you automatically got right there. You started to walk in and you began to steward inheritance right there on the spot. Adoption in Roman law was final. You could not go back. It was completely new, and you were reborn. So when Jesus and when Paul and the Bible talks about adoption, it was understood in the then and there in a different way than we understand it in the here and now. In the here and now, we hear things through our own Western lens, and he takes the lonely and he puts them in a family, which is a powerful verse, and it means a lot. But adoption is so much greater. You went from whatever you were to son, immediately on the spot. Look at Adam and Eve and look at Jesus. Am I yelling a lot? I feel like I'm just yelling the whole time. I'm really sorry, man. You look like a very peaceful person. I'm just sitting in front of you yelling the entire time. I'm pretty chill most of the time, guys. This isn't, I'm not always yelling at people. My kids don't like flinch around me. They, they <laughs> run, they jump up on my lap. They, we have a good, I don't yell a lot. That's why my voice is disappearing slowly. <clears throat> Adoption was fine. Look at Adam and Eve and look at Jesus. And I want to lay a groundwork for the original intent that God had when he created man, when he created you and I. The creation story, when we went back to the beginning, God put man in his natural habitat, right? Adam and Eve were God's creation. Adam, born of the dirt, God breathed life into him. And Eve, made from Adam's rib, they became one. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Make a family and subdue the earth, right? Rule over what I've given you. This is all yours. This is your family and this is your kingdom. Rule over it. Have fun. Be you. Be awesome. There you go. And God was friends with them. And he would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening with them. And he would have conversations with him, with them. And everybody always wants to get back to the garden. There's a problem with that, though. Adam and Eve were creation from the dirt. God breathed. Jesus came along, the Son of God, born of a woman, 
He was the son of God and the son of man. He was perfect and spotless. And when they used the words perfect and spotless speaking of Jesus, because they were using the same words they'd use when they would talk about the sacrifices people would have to make to atone for their sins, they would have to find a lamb that was perfect and spotless. It would be pure. It would be unblemished. And they would sacrifice it, and it would atone for their sins of the day. Jesus came and lived his life as perfect and spotless lamb, son of God, bigger than just a lamb on the earth, but son of God, son of man, holding two worlds together. He was the tension between two worlds. And when he died, he died on a cross, he was buried, and he resurrected. He took the sin of man. Did you know that sin is not an action? Just like the flu is not a fever. You know, flu medicine takes the fever away. It's doing nothing to the flu. The fever is your body's reaction to the flu. Your body's saying, there's something wrong. I need to burn it out. And flu medicine says, nah, don't do that. Here, you'll feel better. <laughs> it just takes away your body's natural response to it. Sin is not an action. You can cut all the apples off an apple tree, and it's still an apple tree. But there's no apples. It can't be an apple tree. Oh, really? That makes perfect sense. Go around just cutting out, right? We're just sin-focused, so if we just cut all the sin off people, then they're no longer sinners. Jesus died. Sin was actually a seed. You know that whole saying, you are what you eat? You've heard it, everybody? Come on, guys. I'm not yelling anymore, so you're not responding. <laughs> we just need to yell at you more. You guys, I know, you're like, you're motivated by... Let's work on some positive reinforcement here, guys. <laughs> the idea you are what you eat. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent feeds them a lie. They bite on it. They take the fruit. They eat it. They actually ingest the lie. They become what they just ate. Everybody says it's an apple. Nobody knows what it was. It was fruit. Let's just call it an apple. When they ate the apple, they got a seed. That seed went in them. And the seed of sin started to grow in man. Sin is not an action. Sin is an evil seed that was put in man. Man was not created for sin, but sin took its place in man and started to grow in man. The seed of sin grew in man and became full and living in man. Man had a sinful nature because of what was in man. Adam and Eve creation brought sin into creation. Jesus' son came as son of man, as son of God, came with no sin in him, took sin upon him, not in him, but upon him, went to a tree where it all started, spread out his arms like the limbs, with sin hanging from his limbs. The fruit was hanging from the limbs of the cross. And he sat there with his arms spread out, nails in his wrists, nails in his hands. His blood poured out for us on the cross. He died there on that cross with the sin of man, the obligations and the debt of man died right there on the cross. He went into the grave. He was buried with the sins and the obligation and the debt of man. He went into hell, and he left the seed of sin where it started from in the pit. And he came out carrying the keys that man had given up in the first place of life. And he came out only son of God. He did not come out son of man. He left that was, which was created from the dirt in the ground and rose up just son born of God. 
He left sin in the ground, came up sinless and blameless once again, son of God. This is the tricky part when it comes to you and I. See, the picture that we have is Jesus is perfect. He died. He paid for it all. And so now when I come into the throne room and when I come in in front of the Father, I have a cardboard cutout of Jesus that I hide behind. And I slowly make my way to the Father. And the Father's so dumb that when he looks at me, he sees a cardboard cutout of Jesus and it tricks him. And he goes, oh, Jesus, it's you. And then my voice comes out. He's like, do you have a cold? And I'm like, no, actually, there's no air in Colorado. So... <laughs> And I hide behind this cutout, and every once in a while, part of me peeks out, you know, and he's like, what was that? But, but he just doesn't get it. Because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus, and that's the idea the church has had, and the law has been fed from pulpit to pulpit to pulpit. And that's why we twist verses that say, less of me and more of you. That's out of context, and it doesn't mean what you're saying. All of creation eagerly awaits the revealing of what? The cardboard cutouts. <laughs> We're going to trick them all. <laughs> we slowly are going to make our way through the world with this cardboard cutout of Jesus. And don't rain on it because cardboard doesn't do well in the rain, so we hide it. <laughs> we only bring it out in safe environments. We're going to trick everybody. It's going to be awesome. We're working on a new 3D print of it. So it's going to be like even better. What if I told you that when the Father looks at you, he sees you? What if I told you that when heaven looks at you, sees you through heaven's eyes, sees all your potential, all your gifts, all your calls, sees you as spotless, sees you as blameless? What if I told you that when heaven looks at you, really sees the righteousness of God? What if I told you that when heaven looks at you, sees righteousness, holiness, and sees a saint? What if I told you that when heaven looks at you, heaven sees son in whom I am well pleased? We have a picture that Jesus walks in front of us and we hide behind him and his robe is wide enough and we're all kind of like, single file, everybody. <laughs> but the Bible makes it very clear. Galatians 2.20. Jesus did not just die Jesus solo. Jesus died family all together. You and I were crucified with Christ. There is a higher revelation here. The, the question is, why would God create a creation he knew was going to fall? Because God is omnipresent. He's past, present, and future. He knows it all. He's in it all. He's seen it all. So why would God create a creation he knew was going to fall? That just seems mean. Maybe all along God had an upgrade in mind. Maybe you were created for more than just being creation. Adam and Eve were creation. You up here though, Galatians 2.20, were crucified with Christ. While he was on the cross, you were put on the cross. You weren't the thief on the cross next to him. You weren't the murderer to his other side. He didn't look over at you and say, oh, hey, I'll make a place for you in heaven with my father. No, you were with him on the cross, same cross, spread out with him. Nails went through your wrists. Nails went through your ankles. It literally says in the Bible that you were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ, and you were resurrected with Christ. We share in the resurrection. What does that look like? It looks like this. You were creation. 
created from the dirt with a little bit of God's breath in you. Still no air here. (laughs) When you said yes to Jesus, you walked into something so spiritually crazy and amazing. It's so much bigger than our understanding. It's an adoption. It is you stepped into the cross. You were crucified with Christ in heavenly places. You went down into the dirt, and that which was born of the dirt died in the dirt. No longer creation. A new creation. What was it? You were rose up with him. You were resurrected with Christ to be what Christ is. Son, fully son. That which started as dirt with God's breath was born again, just like Roman adoption. You were born again with a new identity. You are son. You are daughter. You are part of the family. What if I told you God's original intent always was that man would get the upgrade, and the upgrade is called family. Because Adam and Eve were friends of God. Adam and Eve walked with God, but Adam and Eve were creation, and we're always going to be creation. God had a higher intent. God had a bigger picture in mind. God knew that eventually man would make decisions that wouldn't look like their original destiny, but he had an answer in place. Before the foundations of the earth, Christ was crucified. Before the foundations of the earth, in place, at the very beginning, God had a plan for your upgrade, and your upgrade was not process. Your upgrade was new creation. He is the father of lights. Jesus was prophesied to be the light of the world. And then Jesus turned to you and said, you are the light of the world. Why? Because he's the father of lights and we're his children. So we get to shine with the light of who our father is. You were creation born of the dirt. All of that was forgiven and buried. And you rose up a new creation, fully son of God, fully daughter of God, fully part of the family, grafted in. There's a great adoption that happened. You're grafted in. He is the vine and you are the branches. It's hard to figure out where he stops and you begin. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made so wonderful, it's scary. When we say less of me and more of you, it's like slapping the artist in the face. It's like the painting on the wall saying, don't put me up. Nobody wants to see me. You get up on the wall. It's like looking at the artist and saying, you didn't do a good enough job on me. All of creation eagerly awaits the revealing of what? Come on. It's the family. All of creation eagerly awaits you. Why? Because you carry a freedom and a liberty that's only found in sons and daughters. It is a right and a privilege of this family and not your old family. Your old nature at the cross was taken from you and separated from you as far as the east is from the west. You no longer have that nature. It's not your natural. Your natural is this family. Your natural is light. Your natural is life. Your natural is truth. Your natural is in him and him in you. It is unnatural for you to experience anything outside of that. Well, what about sin? Sin is you not realizing your natural. What about when I act like I used to act? Well, guess what? That's an area of your life that you do not have perspective that power's flowing through yet. You're not transformed by the renewing of your identity. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your identity is perfect. It is whole. It is good. You don't need a new identity. You are in him. Your mind needs to be renewed so you begin to see what he has already done, what was there all along. 
I believe that all sin is a manifestation of an insecurity, an area in us that is not yet secure in him. We have not got it yet. What is always there, what was always available, and when we start to get it, we open our eyes. Look, everybody close your eyes. Now open them. I disappeared, huh? I was gone. I'm not going to tell you where I went, but I was gone. Just because you closed your eyes doesn't mean I'm not here. Just because an ostrich puts its head in the ground doesn't mean the whole world disappeared. It still has its whole back end sticking out. <laughs> Just because you're not fully seeing it in your life doesn't mean it's not true. I think God's been working on opening our eyes all along to what was always there, to what was always true, to what was always right, to what was always real. The reality of heaven is so much more real than the reality of this world. If we could get this, if this many people in this room could get this, what would it do to the world out there? What do you say, Leif? Thinking like that could lead to dancing. (laughs) Is that the move? Is that the move? (laughs) You got to see it. (laughs) The first time I saw Leif do that, I fell right out of my chair on the ground. It was awesome. (laughs) You got reason to be excited. Can you stand with me? Actually, sit down. Don't, don't stand with me. I want you to stay right where you're at. This one's only received through rest. It's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's not about something you can boast or brag in. It's not, you know, righteousness comes through him. It's not called self-righteousness for a reason. So I want you to just sit there and I want you to close your eyes. Wow. <laughs> God, what a family you have. Wow, God. What a beautiful family you have. Father, I thank you that this all started with love. God, you so loved us that you sent your son. Whoa. That that which was born of the dirt could be reconciled to you. Reborn as sons and daughters, a new creation. God, thank you that we are family. Thank you that there's been an adoption. I thank you, God, that all obligations and all debts have been fully paid for. They've been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And God, I ask that you would release a security in each one of your sons and daughters, an understanding and a perspective of who we are and whose we are, really, whose we are, where we belong. God, Jesus, I thank you that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and it says that we're seated with you in heavenly places. God, I thank you that when we said yes to you, we became a new creation, a son, a daughter with the family name, with the family blood. Not only was it a a, a natural adoption, but there was a light from the cross that blasted through us that reconstructed our DNA, that we now have the DNA, the blood and the flow of Jesus pulsing through our bodies right now, Jesus, that we live in you, we are from you, we were born of you, God, that we are part of the family. We are grafted in. You are the vine and we are the branches. We bear the fruit of our family. We bear the fruit of heaven. God, just like Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8, that we are trees planted by water. 
and our roots go out into the stream. And as the sun comes up and tries to scorch our leaves, we do not fear. Our leaves stay full and green. In the season of drought, we do not fear because we bear much fruit. Why? Because we do not drink from our old circumstances of this world, but we drink from our one true source, and it is you. It's our natural habitat to be in you. God, we are trees fully green with leaves and hanging with fruit, God. Heavy, heavy, heavy fruit on every limb. Why? Because you are our source. We no longer have to live by the source of this world. You are our source. We are sons and daughters who will shine brightly with your light. God, I thank you that we are victorious. I thank you that we are the head and not the tail. We are over and not under. God, I thank you that we are the apple of your eye. We are the sparkle in your eye. God, I thank you that we are the smile on your face. God, I thank you that we are in every good thought that you have, that your thoughts for us outnumber the sand on the shore, that you know the number of hairs we have on our head or the number of hairs we don't have on our head. God, that you are for us and not against us. We are not trying to prove anything to you, God, but we get to rest in sonship. We get to rest in family. We get to rest in you. God, that you are inviting us through Jesus. There was a seed of sonship that took the place of the seed of sin. There's a seed of sonship that was put in us through Jesus. And through Jesus, we have access to you, Father, that we can run into the family room, that we can jump up on Papa's lap, that we can sit with you and we can talk with you and we get our identity from you and we get our truth from you. Father, I thank you for sons and daughters. I thank you, Jesus, that on the cross you said it is finished and you meant it. You put a period on the end of the sentence and you closed the book. Father, I thank you for your hand that rests on sons and daughters. I thank you for your hand, God, that it rests on us. Wow, just the confidence that comes when dad's hand rests on you. God, I thank you that You affirm us by resting your hand on us, that you are there with us. Yeah. Father. Ooh. Holy Spirit. I thank you that we are sealed with you. You know, he's omnipresent, so there's never a moment of separation between you and the presence of God. What is the presence of God? Not a cloud. It's God present. The presence of me is the fact that I'm here with you right now. The presence of God is the fact that God is always present in your life. He is omnipresent. The Bible says God is love, and the Bible also says there's no height or depth or spirit or principality or plan of man or scheme of the enemy. There's nothing in heaven and there's nothing on earth that could ever separate you from the love of God. Well, guess what? God is love. So that verse is telling you that there's nothing anywhere that could ever separate you from God. He is with you. He is in you. He is on you. He goes before you. He lives outside of time and space. He's in your past. He's in your present. And he is in and knows your future. And he says it is good. Power flows through perspective. My prayer this morning is that we would be sons and daughters that learn to rest in the perspective of where we're seated with him in heavenly places, fully confirmed as part of the family. That when we said yes to him, he handed us the gaffle and he said, go for it. And we just get bang, 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 bang.
bang, it is finished, it is done, never to go back. We are legally bound to him and him to us. Not in our own works, but in his work. He did the work, and we get to rest as sons and daughters with the full benefit of the family in our inheritance, all blessings stored for us in heavenly places. Jesus, I thank you that we get to be sons and daughters. God, for some of us, we haven't been taught in this life what it is to have a dad, to have a mom, to be a son, to be a daughter. Lord, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that in your kindness and in your love, we get to see, we get to learn, we get to be, we get to be, we get to be sons and daughters. God, that you are safe. That you are trustworthy. That you are faithful. That you are love. That you are kind. God, I thank you for your kindness. That you don't even correct us with the rod, but it's in your kindness that we repent. God, your kindness leads us to repentance. That you are kind. You are a good, good father. It's who you are. And we are loved by you. That's who we are. God, I thank you for a new perspective. I thank you for truth that stands in the face of any lie we've ever heard about being sons and daughters, about being sinners, about being whatever it is that we heard. I thank you for the truth of sons and daughters that stands in the face of any other perspective. Jesus, I thank you that you stand up, and when you stand up, everything else has to sit down. So right now, God, I thank you that we are sons and daughters, and I thank you that that truth stands tall. I thank you that you have accepted us, that you have called us part of the family, that Adam and Eve were friends, but we get to be sons and daughters. I thank you that that truth stands tall. And God, I thank you for the power of inheritance, the inheritance that is ours, God. What does that mean in our lives, and what does that mean for this world? Wow. Jesus, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You're kind. You invite us in. You're faithful, more faithful than the rising of the sun. You are faithful. You define faithfulness, God. You are the true definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness flows from you. You are love. And we accept your love right now, God. We open ourselves up and we say that we accept your love in our lives, God, that we would be a sign of your love on this earth, fully resting in who you are. You're extravagant, God, we're extravagant. You're generous, God, we're generous. You are healing, God, healing flows from us because you are healing. You are righteousness, we are righteous. You are holiness, we are holy. God, you are beautiful, and you have made beautiful sons and daughters. God, I thank you that it's time that your sons and daughters stand and fully represent who we are and who we're called to be. <laughs> yep. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord has risen upon you. His light shall be seen upon you. Kings will come to your light and nations to the brightness of your rising. God's not surprised by darkness in the world. Darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people. God's not surprised by darkness in the world. He's surprised by a church that would choose to sit down in the middle of it. God is calling us as sons and daughters to arise and shine. 
with that which he put inside of us. You are the light of the world. You are the answer to darkness. You are the solution. Wow. All of creation eagerly awaits you to be revealed. Why? Because you illuminate what freedom looks like. You illuminate what destiny looks like. You are sons and daughters, and when they see you, it points to the Father. They see you, and they go, I knew it all along there was a Father. Who has their, their middle finger is vibrating right now? Feel your middle finger. It doesn't have, it's not, I'm, I'm not talking about a disease or a physical issue. Feel your middle finger. Who, who can feel like a vibration in your middle finger? Raise your hand. There's multiple people. Yeah, raise it high. Keep it up. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Good. Good. Okay, keep your hand up if your middle finger is vibrating. <clears throat> Don't put your middle finger up, just your whole hand. <clears throat> Good. My middle finger started vibrating, and I, I felt like the Lord said, that thing that he put inside of you that he's been prompting you to do, that thing, that thing, that thing, whatever it is, that thing, he said, now is the time for that thing. And I just felt like the Lord said that he's going to cause light to shine through you from that thing, whatever it is. Some of you, it was writing a book. Others of you, it was taking a certain step in life. It was stepping out into that thing. Some of you, it is that you're supposed to know that healing flows through you. And when you leave these doors, you're supposed to start taking those steps that always had you afraid to take, but you're supposed to start taking those steps in public that God wants to move through you through that thing that you know what it is he put it on your life he put it in your heart and he says now is the time to stand up and walk into that thing there's a grace on your life to walk into that thing heaven has been waiting for you to stand up and walk into that thing so if your middle finger is vibrating right now then it's the time to stand up and walk into that thing whatever it was that thing that scares you that thing that you put on hold that thing that you thought one day I'll do that that thing that ah it's so big well guess what if it's that big then it's big enough for dad to fit in it with you Anything else is too small. Really good. What about thumbs? Somebody, your thumb's getting hot. Anybody? Yeah, your thumb's just getting really warm. I can feel it. My thumb's just getting hot, hot, hot. Anybody else besides her? Two, three. Stand up if your thumb's getting hot, please. There you go. Yeah. Don't be shy. Ooh, good. Good, 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 good. God's doing a love thing with you. Something about the thumb. When, when my wife and I first started hanging out, <clears throat> I had to put a boundary around our thumbs. This is funny, 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 I know. But when we'd hold hands, whenever we'd touch our thumbs together, I could feel like this electricity that would like flow through my body from her thumb. It was something crazy. I had, it was like not part of my purity plan. I had to stop touching her thumb there was something about her thumb and just now I felt that same feeling and I felt like the Lord said that he's doing a love thing in you whoa when I touched my wife's thumb I, I was crazy about this woman and when we'd hold hands sometimes our thumbs would just touch together like that I, I've never done that with anybody else our thumbs would touch together and it would be like whoa that's not okay whatever that is <laughs> we were trying to be good right It is this crazy love thing that I'd never felt in my entire life with another human being. 
And I just want you to know that, that that warmth in your thumb, that whatever that is that's going on in your thumb, God said that he's doing a love thing in you, that he's going to make you a puddle of love, that wherever you would go, you'd be like the wine glass in the hand of the person that had too many glasses, and it's overfilled, and when it walks through the party, it just gets on everybody else, that God is making you a carrier of love, a steward of love, that first it starts in you with love, and then it goes out of you from love that he is doing something in you that's called love, and it is ooey-gooey, and it is messy, and it is a puddle of love that he is bringing you to be, and God is saying that he's gonna make you messy with love, that wherever you go, love would spill from your life on the people around you, but it starts first with you. It's you and him locking hands. It's you and him touching thumbs. It is an intimate thing with the Father that he wants to do with you. If, if your thumb's getting warm, then get ready Brace yourself because you're about to go on an adventure of love. He's got nothing but love for you. And you are going to begin to define love to the people around you. They're going to look at you and they're going to go, oh, my gosh, that is a much-loved son. People are going to say, I have to have what you have because what he's doing in you is love and it is deep and it is growing roots and it's going to be messy and it's going to get on everybody around you. Good. I think, I think I'm going to stop there. It's good. We got, a, we got a bunch of time together later today, tonight. We got another meeting tomorrow night that we're going to do together. So I think I'm going to stop there. I'm going to leave it there. But I want, I want to leave you with this perspective. We don't just do church. We, just, we don't just visit God. Heaven wasn't part of a mass divorce, and we get visitations with Dad on the weekends. Sundays aren't church. Church is the people. You are the church. Your natural habitat is in him. 24-7, 365. We don't unplug from church. We don't take our church hat off. We don't put it on. We don't put our worship hat on. We don't take it off. It is a lifestyle of being a son and a daughter. Worship flows from me because it's who I am and it's who he is. Being a son flows from me because it's who I am and I have a good dad. It confirms that I'm a son, and his hand rests on me, and his breath flows through me. We, we sang it, you are the air I breathe, right? We sing the songs. It's time for our perspective to change to the truth of the songs we sing, and our lives to begin to represent with the manifestation of the fruit of being sons and daughters. You are not in a fight. You are not in a fight. You are seated in heavenly places, you're called to rest in him. You get to be a son and a daughter to represent him on the earth. It's exciting. We live in exciting times. You were born for the greatest time in all of history. People want to get back to the disciples, and it's stupid. <laughs> they were born for then. They did that. We are born. The, the, the greatest stage in all of history for revival to ever happen is right now. More people alive on the face of the earth than ever people ever lived in ever before. You could take everybody that has lived and died and count them all, and it would still not be as big as the generation that is alive on the face of the earth today. There are more people alive today than anybody who's lived in history. Greatest stage in all of history for revival to happen. And we live in it. You have been commissioned. You're on the mission with dad. You've been commissioned to be the light of the earth, to be the salt of the world. Get excited. It's time to be alive.
Get excited. The stage has been set. The curtains are drawing back, and guess what's revealed? Sons and daughters, because all of creation's been waiting for that. The theater's filled with creation, and they're looking at the stage, and the curtain's drawing back for a time such as this. We live in the greatest revival in all of history, and God's just waiting for his sons and daughters to get it. He's waiting for the ostriches to pull their head up out of the ground and see what was there all along. It's good. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. You are amazing, because you are made in his image. He said, it is good. Mm, so, God, we thank you for sons and daughters. We thank you for the confirmation of that. We thank you for the affirmation of a father. <laughs> we thank you that light shines in us and through us. God, I thank you that we're a big deal. God, I thank you that we're a long way from pride because we haven't even figured out how awesome you've made us yet. <laughs> Jesus. Thank you, God. You know, pride's found in self. Boo, but confidence is found in being a son with a great father. God, raise your church up in confidence that we would stand shoulders back, head high, taking deep breaths even if there's no air in Colorado. <laughs> Knowing that we are who we are, that we are yours, and you are ours, God, that we are who we are, and you are who you are. And you call us what we are, God. We are sons and daughters. Period, end of sentence, finished work, new creation. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, that was good. <laughs> All right, we're going to meet back here. I believe 2 o'clock is the time. Uh, Leif is going to kick us off at 2 p.m. So um, go have a great lunch. Go be the light of the world. And, uh, and I, you know, my prayer is just that, that we get this. We got it here. Get it here. We got to get it here. So let's do it. All right. Love you guys. We'll see you in two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs>